So many of us wish we can make the world a better place, but don't know where to begin. The vision of the Love Offering is to encourage and embolden a generation to do something to manifest the better world we want to see. First, by filling ourselves up with the love of Jesus Christ, and then pouring it out to the world around us. When we hear stories of how others have loved well, where they are, with the gifts that they've been given, it inspires and motivates us to do the same. Together, we can change the world one love offering at a time in thanksgiving to God, who is the most extraordinary giver of all. Amy Carroll loves connecting a community through cultivating tender hearts and strong voices. There's nothing that delights her heart more than moving through life with Jesus and her community of tender-spoken women. Amy is the author of Breaking Up With Perfect, a member of the Proverbs 31 Ministries speaker and writer teams, and co-host of the Grit and Grace podcast. She loves traveling all over the world and adores hearing the God stories of women at her events. Through scripture and storytelling, Sherry Gregory loves sharing experiences that connect to women's frustrations, fears, and failures, giving them hope that they are not alone, that someone gets them. She delights in helping women draw closer to Jesus, the strength of every tender heart. Sherry is the co-author with Kathy Lipp of You Don't Have to Try So Hard and Overwhelmed, the co-host of the Girt and Grace podcast, and the co-leader of Sensitive and Strong, the place for HSP women to find community. Without further ado, here's Amy and Sherry. Hey, Amy and Sherry. Hello, we are so glad to be here with you today. Hey, Rachel, it's good to be here. Thank you so much for being my guest today. Uh, Together, you all have written Exhale for women suffocating under the pressure of being all things to all people, of filling every unfilled spot at church, work, and home, of trying to do it all right, make decisions that benefit everyone else, and keep everyone happy. And so this description sounds like every single woman and woman I know. (laughs) (laughs) So Sherry, this isn't a time management book Mm. filled with how-to lists and calendar tools. Instead, it walks us through a process that releases us from the things that have created unbearable pressure. So rather than adding more to our to-do list, what do you suggest that we do instead? Well, you know, it's so interesting that you say that it's not full of how-to because for so many years, I bought every how-to book I could get to. And while they had really good uh, little tips and and tactics, what I discovered is I needed the heart-to, heart-comma-to. I needed to start with my heart. And so what we suggest instead of the to-do list, which let's just be honest, at least for Amy and me, and I think a lot of us who are kind of achievers, that the to-do list can be exhausting, but it can also be comforting because it's really familiar to us. And so what we suggest instead is um, a process that we wanted it to be easy to remember. So we put it right there in the subtitle of the book, lose who you're not, love who you are, and live your one life well. And so step one is to lose who you're not to identify and release roles that we've taken on and that have been actually oftentimes given to us by other people, but to release roles that never came from God in the first place. So Amy, would you touch on that a little bit? What, what wisdom would you share to lose the ill-fitting roles that we've been trying to fill so that we can be lighter and freer? 
Well, I had this funny moment of clarity just recently. This didn't actually go into the book, but I was talking about how we get rid of all the things we are not. And I referred to all those things, those roles, those tasks we've taken on, the expectations we piled on ourselves, all those things. I referred to them as clutter. <laughs> all of a sudden, I had this visual of watching an episode of Hoarders <laughs> and, how, <laughs> and how those houses and those rooms are so filled with things, mm. with piles of newspaper and trash and medicine bottles and all the things that hoarders keep. And, um, and they're so piled with things that those rooms can no longer function the way they were designed anymore. Well, our hearts and our lives are exactly the same way. Mm. I think our culture really has um, programmed us as women to try to be all things to all people, that we're trying to keep all the people all happy all the time, and that we take on all these roles that are ill-fitting. In other words, they they actually feel like clothes that are too tight, which um, mm. all my clothes are kind of too <laughs> tight right now. So <laughs> that was a picture that I could that I could really jump into today. That that these roles that are actually her roles, not mine that they feel like too tight clothes, but they're also, it's clutter that takes, that takes up the room in our lives. And when I say um, the room, I'm thinking about time, mm. emotional energy, the God given provision that he gives us for the things he's called us to. It's not there. And so that clutter, um, we have to give those things up and so that we can free up the rooms and clean up the rooms and empty it of all the clutter so we can do what we were actually designed to do and to fulfill the roles that God actually did design us for. So wow. I had I had this happen with a situation at church a couple of years ago. I got an email in the mail and instead of asking me if I would fill a role, they actually told me what role they wanted me to do. So that was problematic in and of itself, but it happens to all of us. And they wanted me to lead a particular group. Well, as I kind of evaluated that and thought about that, I thought that would become clutter in my life. It would begin to push out the things that God had actually called me to if I said yes to it. And saying no is super, super hard, mm -hmm. but I had to because I knew that it, it that, that role, if I were to say yes to it, would become clutter in my life that would push out the things that I was called to. So I gently wrote an email back and said, you know, I'm not able to fill that role for you. However, this was the happy news. I can volunteer three hours next week to help with that. So, um, you know, I think we can find some compromise in there sometimes, but it's, it's healthy to say no to the things that are going to be ill-fitting for us or going to be clutter for our lives. Hmm. Yeah, that's great wisdom, Amy. Thank you. So, um, so Sherry, how can we learn to love our truest God-created self with all of our glorious gifts instead of trying to shove ourselves into a mold? Well, I love how Amy just illustrated that um, she didn't let herself be shoved into a mold and um, she made a, a, a choice that was right for 
where she, the season of life she was in. One of the traps that we see a lot of women accidentally fall into is trying to become like the women we admire. Like I, I can, I think we can all look back at women who've had an influence on us over the years. And at least for me, the ones I think of had such an impact on my life. And then I want to have that kind of impact on other people's lives. And so we can end up telling ourselves Um, Sometimes we do it knowingly. I think a lot of times we do it unconsciously, but we think I'm going to be just like her. And so for me, that person was Florence Littower, who was very popular in the 70s and 80s with personality trainings. I was exposed to her for the first time when I was 16. And uh, there was so much I admired about her and so much I appreciated because the teaching I gained from her really set me free in some key areas of my life. But the problem is that when I decided I wanted to be just like her, I picked a particular quality and I really honed in on that. And I thought that to be just like her was to be funny and to make other people laugh. And the problem with that is I'm just not that funny. And there's like, there's nothing worse. There's nothing worse than a nerdy girl trying to be a comedian and forgetting punchlines and being awkward and... You know, and so over the years, what I've discovered, and, and, and we all do it in our own ways, like women who are naturally funny want to be more serious. Women who are naturally motivating want to become better listeners. And what we can end up doing accidentally is we take a, a woman, like in my case, Florence Littower, who was a godly role model, and we turn them into our ideal. And then the danger is how quickly an ideal can turn into an idol. And of course, we all know what happens with an idol. We end up worshiping them. And often it happens so slowly that we don't recognize it until we're really into the, we're squeezed into that mold and, it, and we can't breathe. It's back to that pressure again. So the solution and to not doing this, to not shoving ourselves into molds is to notice when our gratitude is morphing into worship. Like it's totally, no, it's totally normal and healthy to appreciate other people who have spoken into our lives, who have been the hands and feet of Jesus, who've given us leadership and guidance. But the only one we worship is God. We worship our creator because he's the one who shaped us on purpose for a purpose to live the one life that he's given us. Mm, so good. So, so Amy, in Exhale, you describe how we can live our one and only life in a way that truly matters. What would you say truly matters? Well, I'm going to default to Jesus because he's the authority. <laughs> I agree. I agree. And he tells us what truly matters so clearly. And it is so simple and it is not at all easy, but he said it the best in Matthew 22 verses 37 through 40. He said, love the Lord, your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. And we all probably could say it with me. Love your neighbors as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So it's two things, love God, love people. And it's just these two simple things that are everything Jesus says. And so anything that gets in the way of loving God and loving people, well, um, those are distractions. So um, for me, one of the things is trying to 
create my own image and shape my own Mm -hmm. image that was um, something that other people would approve of that got in the way fulfilling inappropriate expectations for uh, from others is huge because um, people level all kinds of things at us some of them are completely appropriate they're god appointed and then others they're not and so those become distractions and here's the thing that's complicated is that as women, I think we've embraced this idea that loving people means that we say yes to everything they want mm-hmm. from us. And what Sherry and I are learning is that's just, it's just not true. I mean, Jesus didn't live that way. He didn't, he didn't fold to every person's expectations and we shouldn't live that way either. But, you know, beyond other people's expectations, my expectations of myself and what I pile on my own shoulders, that's almost worse than anything anybody else does to me. Um, So other ones that Sherry and I address in the book are trying to fix everything Mm. or trying to make people happy all the time. But these are the things that the ways that we can spend our lives that leave us exhausted and empty And the way Sherry and I like to say it is that loving God and loving people well and truly loving them is leaves us spent and content Mm. and um, spent and content. is just something that we've processed quite a bit. We tried to come up with the just right term because as Sherry mentioned earlier, we ourselves and the women that we speak to there, we're kind of achievers. We love a to-do list. So it's not that we're looking for nothing to do um, for in this, you know, this, this book is, I guess, self-help in some ways, but we say it's Jesus powered um, Mm. change and Jesus powered help. And we may be tired at the end of the day, but goodness knows it's going to be the kind of tired that leaves us content and fulfilled because we know we've walked in what God's called us to. Sherry, women are suffocating under the pressure of being all things to all people. What tips would you share with listeners to help them release themselves from the things that have created this unbearable pressure? Well, I'm going to share my number one tip, and it's going to be um, kind of countercultural. And it's something that came to me several years ago, the night before I was to speak for a women's retreat. And um, I, it was late at night. I was about to go to sleep, and I'd been watching this Facebook video on how to um, not let a bully have, um, if affect you. And so the guy on this Facebook video said, well, you just don't react. And I remember going to bed furious because I was like, well, that's really nice for people who know how to just not react. But I'm one of these people who is very reactive. In fact, that's one of the reasons why I've spent my life being all things to all people, because I, I can perceive if somebody's in need, I can perceive if they're upset with me, I can perceive if they're disappointed with me. And so I'm constantly trying to, it's like whack-a-mole. I'm trying to solve all of these, these issues all at once. And so um, I got to thinking and I, you know, I realized here I am well past midlife and I don't know how to keep people from having too much authority over me. And I remember grabbing the phone um, off the nightstand and texting myself. And I said, I've let people take too much authority over me. I'm learning boundaries that allow me to choose who I give authority to. Um, I can say in my own mind, your voice doesn't matter and you have no authority in my life. You can speak, I can hear, but I don't have to listen and I don't have to internalize and I don't have to authorize your words. 
And I remember thinking to myself before I fell asleep, this really feels important, but I don't know what it's called. And so the next morning I woke up and I'm like, okay, I, I was like processing this whole thing. And I'm like, Lord, okay, this feels big, but what does it look like in real life? Like, do we have a word for unauthorizing the over authority we've either given to people in our life, or maybe they've taken from us. Cause again, this is, this is the problem of being all things to all people. And so I'll spare you the next hour of my life at that point. Let's just say I went through a dictionary, I went through a thesaurus, and I'm desperately trying to find a verb that will describe what I'm trying to do. And the best I could do was find words that meant authorize and then try to think if we had like um, the opposite, you know, the antonym. And I literally went through a whole long list, couldn't find anything. And then finally, my eyes laid on the word appoint. And I thought, do we have a word that means the opposite of appoint? And I suddenly realized we did. And it's a word I'd spent my life trying to run away from. And it's the word disappoint. Those of us who tend to be people pleasers and achievers, we try to never disappoint anyone. And yet what I heard the Lord telling me that day, and then when I went ahead and shared with the women that weekend, was that we need to disappoint anyone who's not Jesus. Because I had either appointed my children, my husband, my friends, my students into a place of such high authority that, again, I was in a position of worshiping them rather than serving them. And so, like I said, it's kind of countercultural, but literally the number one thing that I think in my head, and we've joked about this, um, you know, even almost having an imaginary scepter, I disappoint you, I disappoint you, I disappoint you. (laughs) Now, let's be really clear. I don't mean that when my family comes home <laughs> expecting food that I disappoint them by not having a meal ready. Or if I've promised to throw a party, I say, nope, I disappoint you. This is all internal. Again, it's at that heart level where I start to get too anxious. I start to feel like, oh, I've got to keep them happy. And then I remember, no, I am going to disappoint you from having that level of authority in my life. I'm going to, I'm going to lower this and I'm going to remember that the only person who has true authority in my life is Christ and I'm going to pray and I'm going to listen before I go into that immediate action of trying to be all things to all people. Wow. You ladies are giving me so much to think about. And we're trying to keep this podcast to an hour. So I'm not going to say all the thoughts <laughs> that are in my head that I want to say and pick your brain about. <laughs> Amy, um, you mentioned a little bit earlier about being... Um, Spent and content. So how have you found that it is possible to move from running on empty to that spent and content that you mentioned earlier? Well, it really is working through the steps in our subtitle that to lose who you're not, love who you are so you can live your one life well. And the one life well is spent and content, you know, that, that we're working at the right things. And um, it was funny because when the we I first had the idea for the book, I came to Sherry and I said, Sherry, I have this um, idea that has been weighing in my heart for a book and I really want you to write it with me. And, um, and so, and here's the idea is I want women to stop spending their lives to exhaustion and start investing their lives in soul-filling ways. And she paused for a moment and she said, you know, Amy, that is, that's such a great idea. I would love to write that book with you, but here's what I'm afraid of is we talk to women who are doers and they are um, women about getting stuff done. And if we tell them 
Stop spending your life to exhaustion. Start investing your life in soul-filling ways. They will embrace that, but what they'll do is they'll add it to the list they already have going, and they will fail again. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so wisely, she said, I think it needs to be a process that first they have to lose who they're not. And like I said before, lose all the clutter that we've added to our lives. And then they've got to love who they are. And what Sherry and I have found is that this, um, so this is not the self-love culture that we're talking about at all, but rather starting to say, God created me and it is an act of worship for me to love who God created. And for a lot of us, that means that we got to find out who we are, you know, because we've just, we've lived life so fast. We've taken on so many things. We don't even know who we are and what our gifts and our talents are. And some of us have even felt like it's selfish to know that. Um, But we have to take those two steps first. Um, to lose who we're not and love who we are um, before we can live our one life well. And the funny thing is, Sherry and I decided that we do not talk to women who want to lay in hammocks. I mean, don't get us wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Like, we would love a week in a hammock, you know, at some kind of Caribbean beach. That would be awesome. Um, But we don't want to stay there. We got stuff to get done. And so what we, we came up with that our publisher wouldn't let us use because she's like, nobody's going to buy a book to be tired. And we're like, okay, we get it. But we want women to be happy tired. Do you Mm -hmm. know that feeling that you have at the end of a day, Rachel, when you've like, you've spent the day well, like you, you worked hard, but it was something that you knew that mattered that God had given you. And you lay in the bed at the end of the day and you're just, you're tired, but you're so happy because you know that your life mattered that day. That's what we want for women every day. Mm -hmm. What a good feeling. Yeah. So Sherry, how do we move past the hurt of not feeling confident in our gifts or even the feelings of selfishness to explore those gifts or use them? Yeah, you know, Amy's right. It was a little bit risky for us to put that, that phrase, love who you are. Um, but I'll tell you where that came from. When I was little, and I don't remember this, my, my parents have told me the story dozens of times. Uh, they say I was like somewhere between age three and five. I had this silly little habit that when we would have family over or guests over, I would march around uh, person to person and I would say, I love grandma and I love Aunt Carrie and I love mommy and I love daddy and I love Johnny. And then I would go to the center of the room and I would throw my arms around myself and I would throw my head back and say, but most of all, I love me. (laughs) Now, I understand I'm not trying to make light of sin or a sin propensity, but what I, what I like to think about that moment is that I felt secure in who I was. I felt loved and I was expressing that I knew my family loved me and that I was lovable. Mm -hmm. And somewhere along the way, of course, we lose that little girl. And so when we talk about love who you are, we're really talking about getting back to that, that place, or maybe we've never been there. And so finding that place where we know, and we are so secure in God's love and we are so grateful to him as our creator. And what Amy and I find is that so many women feel so conflicted about exploring, let alone using their gifts. 
like both of us have had experiences of speaking to groups of women. And if we ask them to make a list of their weaknesses, like they could write all day, they would be asking for reams of extra paper. But if you were to ask the same group of women to write down their strengths, you would hear crickets and the creaking of chairs as they shift uncomfortably and try not to make eye contact with each other. (laughs) And so we really feel like a lot of us have bought into a false uh, humility Um, And I love how Amy just said it is an act of worship to love who God created because we, we, we love each other. Like if our friends are putting down on themselves that we're like, no, 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 don't do that. God don't make no junk. Well, it applies to all of us, including ourselves. And so when we understand and appreciate and use our God given gifts for his glory, that absolutely is an act of worship. And here's the thing. It's not going to be selfish because we're not going to even be thinking about ourselves while we're doing it. We're going to be so focused on him and the people that he is bringing into our lives for us to serve. Amy, you have been known as action, Amy. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, we've talked about this. You like to make lists and you say you hover over your people and you jump in and um, those, so some of those are your tendencies. What has God been teaching you in regards to these natural inclinations? Well, to be really clear, um, that nickname was not a compliment in any way. <laughs> <laughs> I earned it when I was, oh gosh, I was just 20. I was on a missions trip with a group of teenagers for the summer. And um, I was the one that was always jumping in and really bossing people around. Um, so <laughs> not only am I active myself, but I'm going to make sure you are not gathering any dust. And so I, um, I earned that nickname because of those negative propensities. And so I do have that natural tendency. And, you know, for all the, all you doers out there, for all you Marthas, man, I just hate the way women's ministries malign Martha because I just love her and I identify with her. Um, I would say, you know, we have these um, natural tendencies that can be channeled as gifts. Absolutely. Um, goodness knows some things need to get done around here. Right. But, (laughs) um, but they can also be really damaging, especially to our relationships. And, um, and so I have had to really learn how to actively resist the downsides of those tendencies. So I have a situation in my life right now. My newly married son is looking for a job and every fiber of my body (laughs) wants to, in quotation marks, help, right? <laughs> I want to do the Google search and send him links and I want to give him advice about interviewing and all these things. But the truth is, is he's a married man. And so <laughs> I, but every fiber of my being wants to jump in. Um, Sherry has something in the book. Sherry, do you remember what page it's on? I always quote that and I forget now, but 72. Page 72 in Exhale, uh, Sherry created a chart that shows the difference between helping and meddling. I just should have it tattooed on my arm so I can (laughs) see it every time I talk to my adult sons. Um, But really that our solution is is that in my case, I should not jump in. There are times that we are called to help. And, the, and help is legitimate. But what one of the first ones that I remember on Sherry's chart is that help is by invitation. Meddling is by invasion. 
<laughs> Listen, I've been planning a full-on invasion on this job search for a long time, but I got to stop, you know? And the solution to this really is trust. It's mm. trust. It's trusting God. It's trusting that he is big enough in my son because my son is a godly man. He's a hardworking man. There is no reason that I need to jump in except just my natural sin tendency to meddle. And so um, I just confess right here on the podcast, I'm still <laughs> wrestling with this. This book is still messing with me in the best ways, too. So, well, Sherry, I'm interested on your take on this same topic about <laughs> how to stop being a problem preventer, otherwise known as a meddler. So how can we learn the difference in helping versus meddling? Well, this is so funny because um, a few years ago, I was talking to my husband announced that he's a problem uh, solver. And I said, well, so am I. And he looked at me and says, no, you're not. And fortunately, I was so shocked I didn't respond. And <laughs> and um, I spent the rest of the day trying to analyze why wouldn't he see me as a problem solver. And what I realized was I actually, I'm not so much of a problem solver as I am a problem preventer. I anticipate what could go wrong and then I stop it from happening. And then, of course, you don't go around telling people what you what they didn't actually see happening and getting them to try to say thank you. And so, of course, my my son and my daughter and my husband never saw all these amazing things I've done I've done for them by keeping, okay, you're laughing. You understand the crazy here. So I have had to really work hard and I'm still, Amy and I are both on this growth journey together. And you know, any of your listeners who have infants who are like, oh, life is so easy. You have adult kids. It's easier in some way and harder than in others. So I do want to make it clear um, that some situations do fall squarely in the helping category. So like advocating for those who cannot advocate for themselves, parenting children based on their maturity level and fulfilling pre-decided roles and division of labor would be examples of where it's definitely help. But in so many areas of my life, it's been really tricky to figure out. And so, yeah, um, helping is by invitation, meddling by invasion, helping asks and respects um, even something as simple as, would you like some advice? Would you like some help? Um, I asked my daughter that last night and I was actually already getting on my feet because I'm so sure she would say yes. And she said, no, I need to do this myself. <laughs> so I sat back <laughs> down, um, but that was better than what I used to do. Instead of asking, I used to assume and presume I would just show up and start helping. Um, it of helping avoids needless, destructive pain and disappointment and meddling prevents necessary pain and disappointment. And this is where it's so hard for me because I just want to prevent all pain and disappointment. And I forget that on a, on a broken planet, certain kinds of pain and certain kinds of disappointment are part of the way we grow. We learn from failure. It's part of the maturity process. And so when I swoop in and I keep those things from happening, I am actually actively stunting the growth of the very people that I claim to love. So... Offering to help is the step one. Well, step one is praying and, and asking the Lord to either cover my mouth or, or open my mouth at the right time. And then when in doubt, asking if, the, if people want help and then actually listening to and following what they have to say. Um, and often that leads to the hardest thing in the world to do, which is not to not do something like we don't even have a verb for that, except actually we do. And Amy already said it, the verb for, for notting is to trust, to trust God rather than jumping into action. 
Mm, it's a challenge. So, Amy, one of my favorite quotes from your book is knowing that you are not perfect, but constantly growing is the biggest exhale ever. How do we free ourselves from the unrealistic pursuit of perfection? Well, for me, um, there have been two steps that I've had to take. And the first one is acknowledging that there is only one that is perfect. And that's Jesus. He's the only human that's lived on this earth that has been perfect. And I'm not, I am called to follow him. And so the first step is to get comfortable with needing a savior. I mean, Mm. the truth is Sherry and I have talked about this so many times that we are women who would like to not need a savior. I mean, Mm. that that sounds so awful, doesn't it? Mm. For mature Christian women to confess that, but it's true. Like we would like to be able to live perfectly. So we don't need a savior. And one of the things that I have had to really focus on the last few years is being comfortable with my need for a savior. And the beauty of that is when we finally um, express that need, Jesus rushes in to fill the gaps, doesn't he? And um, that's exactly the kind of relationship building that we need with him. The second thing, um, so I think that first one's the most important, accepting this, our need for a savior. The second one though, is to embrace a growth mindset. Mm. And there's been a lot of um, like research done and written about this about fixed mindset versus growth mindset. I've had a fixed mindset the better part of my life, which is that you're either good at something or you're not, period, amen. Um, Which has really, that mindset has really kept me from doing so many things because anything that I wasn't immediately good at, I just avoided. Um, But a growth mindset says that everything starts as a seed. Everything starts as Um, is something small and it grows and that there are mistakes made along the way. And as Sherry says, that failure is not the worst thing that can happen because it can be a growth opportunity, a learning opportunity. And my friend Glenda said it so well. She said, you know, a baby when it's learning how to walk doesn't fall down on the floor and just sit there and never try to walk again. They get up and they try again. And what do we as adults do? We cheer, we smile and we take pictures and we yell because we don't expect them to be able to walk the first time they stand up. So why do we expect that of ourselves? that we would be able to do things perfectly the first time we try them. And, and having this growth mindset has freed me up to, um, to do so many new things. I mean, so many of them, I've looked ridiculous doing them, let's just say, <laughs> but still there's just been this joy and this freedom of being able to make mistakes and not worry so much about them. Yeah. Give ourselves a little bit of grace. Yes. Mm. So Sherry, along with your book, you have so many wonderful resources. And one of those resources is how to grow into our callings. And so you provide a tool to help us to recognize how God has already equipped us. So would you briefly walk us through the three steps in this resource? Um, I'm going to actually pass this one over to Amy because she's the one who taught me the three steps. Oh, okay. Go Amy. (laughs) Yeah. 
so this is one, we had so much fun creating these tools. And when we think about how God's already equipped us, I tell people to glance at the past. So what is it in your past? What dreams? And so many of us have given up on our dreams, but what dreams did you have? What things did you pursue as a child? What, um, what did you dream of and wish for and long for? Make a record of that. And then to really look at the present and, um, and to, to think about what is it that we're doing now? You know, I had a job, for example, as a, as a greeter in my community, it was kind of like the old welcome wagon. And so I visited 30 new families to Holly Springs every single month. And I did it for six years. And I thought, what am I doing? This is not, this isn't ministry. It's not really a profession. It's it's a fun job. But, (laughs) but when I started looking at that job, I thought, wow, I'm gaining so many skills. I'm learning how to talk to business owners. I'm learning how to create contracts. I am um, I'm do, learning presentation skills as I sit in these people's living rooms. All these things, there's a whole list of things that I'm now using in my job as a speaker and a coach and a writer. So we look at the present and see, see what are we gaining right now that we may have just discounted. And then we focus on the future and we think about these things that God has put in our lives Um, these dreams for the future and how do we get there? But all three of those count the past, present and the future. Sherry, and another useful tip that uh, or tool that you provide is the no more faux apologies challenge. So would you share with us how we, you you call it process, I guess, rather than process our apologies. Sure. Yeah. Pray says simply means to process through prayer. You know, scripture tells us that we are to pray without ceasing. So it means just being in an ongoing conversational prayer throughout the day. And faux apologies is the term that we use for this habit that a lot of women have. And kind of it's a either a fake apology or just an overly fast apology for every little thing. Like I apologize for walk. I apologize for the wall I walk into. Um, I apologize for tripping. I apologize for getting sick. I apologize for failing to read somebody's mind for no, I apologize for not knowing something that people haven't actually told me about. So, you know, what we simply mean by processing um, our faux apologies is to um, specifically ask the Holy spirit, to convict you when you apologize unnecessarily, like some of the things I just illustrated. But here's the kicker. What I've been discovering is that with all of this excess faux apologizing, my brain kind of thinks I'm done apologizing. And so then when it comes to the times I really need to apologize, like I've actually done something wrong, um, I actually need to confess a sin, I've actually hurt somebody, it's easy for me to give me a pass, give myself a pass because I've done so much faux apologizing. So the importance here is to be listening to the Holy Spirit, say, no, you don't need to do that. There's other ways that we can uh, respond to tripping or bumping into a wall or not knowing something. Um, so often women, all we need to do is say, thank you. Like if we're running late for a, for a meeting, we can even say, instead of saying, oh, I'm so sorry, which actually is self-centered when you think about it, it puts the focus on us. We can say thank you for waiting. And so it's just a little speech pattern that we can change. But then when the faux apologies start to dissipate, then we're, we're, at least for me, I'm much more aware of the times that I actually do need to apologize. 
and be sincerely contrite and repentant and actually repair relationships. Amy, in Exhale, you include a a love who you are personality quiz to discover whether we are connectors, inspectors, directors, or reflectors. So would you please describe each of these personality types? Well, I'm going to flip this question a little bit because it's such a fun part of our website. And Sherry, our resident personality expert, made this great (laughs) personality quiz. And it is so dead on. We have had woman after woman tell us, oh, my gosh, how did you peg me like that from a few kind of seemingly almost lighthearted questions. So instead of what giving away all the goodies right here, I want to invite your listeners to go take the quiz at exhalebook.com and you'll see the tab for the personality quiz at the top of the homepage. And then once you take it, you get all the information of the upsides and downsides of your particular personality. Okay. Well, we all need to go do that. So, um, so Sherry, how many, how many women do you know, who truly celebrate and steward how God made them? Like how, how can we start to celebrate that? Mm. Well, I love this question because if you'd asked me this a few years ago, I would have been like, Oh wow. I really don't know very many, mostly because the conversations I was having with Christian women were so typical. They were once again, focused on faults and weaknesses. But what I've come to see is women really want more. They want to be more like Christ. They want to live with more joy and satisfaction. And so I really feel like I am seeing more and more women who are really, I won't say they're there yet, but they're truly learning how to celebrate and steward how God made them. So of course, you know, some days are better than others, but they're really learning to trust their creator for what he's already done for what he's doing now and what he still has in store for them. So you all are so fun. (laughs) You, um, you host together at Grit and Grace, which is a podcast for reforming perfectionists, people pleasers, as well as HSPs, who you call highly sensitive people. So um, already we know that you all are fun and wise. And um, so what will listeners um, hear each time that they tune in? Well, we have a format that we, mostly use uh, that we go back and forth between one week we'll do an interview with someone and usually we have series and topics Um, we have a holiday series coming up and then the next week we have what Sherry and I call combos where here's what we found out is that we like to talk so much that interviews <laughs> were just not enough for us we wanted to give our guests time but then we needed to be able to process between the two of us what we learned from our guests so those are our combos and now we call them candid combos because if you if you listen to great and grace we promise that you will get you get it all, the good, the bad, and the ugly from Sherry and I. So we do not try to present as perfect women. So something else that you guys have along with your book is a small group study. How can readers become small group leaders and continue to keep in touch with both of you? Oh, I love this question so much because Amy and I had just had the idea for the book when we started talking about our dream that the best way for women to process this message would be in community because that's how the, the message was born. It was really Amy and I started out as a small group of two podcasts (laughs) and we just realized we couldn't wait until the next time we were going to record an episode because we became so aware of the value of processing and processing life together. 
And so uh, we are so excited that we have a leader guide and we have a group guide that now the group guide can be used alone, but it is, it is really wonderful when used in a small group. And we have small groups that are starting right now, actually in homes in churches. And some women are actually leading virtual small groups and uh, the leader guide has absolutely everything necess- needed to um, facilitate a small group meeting. And then we also did six uh, bonus video messages uh, that can be used as part of the meetings. And all of this is at exhalebook.com backslash study. And we're running a private Facebook group in which we are encouraging and equipping small group leaders and giving them a support group that they can lean into and learn from as well. Yeah. And all of these resources we talked about are, are in your book and on your website. And so I yes. will include that um, in the show notes as well. So ladies, thank you for being my guest today and for freeing us from worry and stress and wondering how we will ever please everyone and get it all right. Thank you for helping us to exhale. God bless you both. Thanks, Rachel. Thanks so much. The Love Offering was created to inspire us to intentionally seek ways to share God's love with a world often marked by the opposite. God gives us His love so freely. He simply asks that we believe in Him and that we share His love with others. The hope of the Love Offering is that it starts a chain reaction of loving service that points people to Him. It is a pure-hearted, servant-minded approach to living. So where does God have you? Who has He surrounded you with? What stirs your heart? Start there. No act is too big or too small. Let's spur one another on as we share God's love in tangible ways and change the world one love offering at a time. Thank you.